faith of your parents. God wants you to be His child. He wants you to be His son or His daughter. It's, it's well and good that you've attended church many times in your life. And it's great that, that, that your parents brought you up in those ways. And I'm speaking to many people here this morning, even people that have been coming to church for a long time. Because the Holy Spirit wants you to encounter the spirit of resurrection this morning. We've been going through a month-long series through Missions Month, talking about sharing the gospel. And then Jamie rings me or texts me on, sun, on Friday and says, we just led someone to Jesus. It's like a first fruits. And the testimony this morning was like the first fruit offering. It was just this sense I get in my spirit that God is about to do something quite amazing in this place. He's about to do something that I don't think you'd want to miss out on. Because 2,000 years ago, thereabouts, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. It was a dying and depraved place. It was under the tyranny of the Roman soldiers and the Roman guards. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into a place to bring a message of hope. The message of hope is what we proclaim today. It is the message of the Gospel. It is the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul writing to the Romans, he says this. I don't know what's going on here, but he writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now don't get caught up in that language. What that means is that to the Jew first and also to the Greek, You've got to understand the times. Jesus was sent first to the Jewish people, those who thought they knew God and worshipped Him with devotion. And many of us here today are like those Jewish people who worship God out of their devotion of religion. But many of us are like the Greeks or the Gentiles is another word where we don't even know God and we've never met God. We've heard of the wonders of God but we've never met him personally. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God under, unto salvation. And to the Corinthians, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is quite simply this, that God would send his son to die upon a cross on the third day, rise again and ascend unto heaven and be seated at the right hand of God. The power of the gospel is in the proclamation that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of God, would come to this world to die in place for you and for me. See, without Jesus, I'm going to a place called hell. Without Jesus, you are in that same boat and we're all rowing down that same path. The gospels put it in a, in a very simple way. That the road to hell is paved with good intentions is the saying we say today. But it's almost like there's this massive highway that is heading down the road and we're all on that highway not knowing what's going on. We're just plodding along, doing all the same things, trying to make it, trying to be good, trying to have a fun life, trying to do all of these things. But the gospel is clear. In the middle of us on a road to destruction, Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. 
And one man, a perfect representation, a perfect man who never once sinned, died in the place so that you and I could cry out to God today. In the middle of that road that's leading to destruction, Jesus is planted on a cross. And right now, before you, is the opportunity for you to see Jesus upon a cross, dying in your place, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was on a road to destruction, and when I was a young boy, Jesus planted that cross before me. And that cross planted in my life. I said yes to Jesus Christ. And in that moment, I became a son of God. And it's been a, a many, many uh, hard road because I had to get over my own stubbornness and my own journey of pride. But Jesus has led me to a place today where I'm not only a son of God, but I'm a representative of God. And Jesus is offering to you this morning that He would die upon the cross for you. That on the third day, He would rise again, overcoming, overcoming sin and death because they have no hold on Him. And as an invitation for you today that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3. See, God right before you right now offers an invitation. And like this young boy who come back into the classroom after Scripture because he had the Holy Spirit prompting him to give his life to Jesus. I believe there are people here right now that have got flutters in their heart. I believe there are people right here right now who just have this sensation in their life of saying there's something going on and I don't know what it is because that's the Spirit of God and He's just pulling on your heart right now. And He's saying, come to me, my child. Come to me, my child. You may have been christened as a young child. You may have been dedicated to the Lord as a young child, but you have never made that personal decision to say yes to Jesus Christ. Right across this room, I want everyone to bow their heads. See, the power of the gospel is in this, that Jesus Christ died upon a cross. On the third day, He rose. He was revealed to 500 witnesses. This is not a theory. This is truth. He was revealed to 500 witnesses in the flesh. And then He ascended upon high and sent His Holy Spirit upon His church. Right across this room, if Jesus is calling you right now, if He is knocking upon the door of your heart right now, will you say yes to Him in this place right now? You want to say yes to Jesus Christ? How about you raise your hand in faith and just say, I believe in Jesus right now. Just across this room, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you want to say yes to Jesus Christ right now, raise your hand. And it says you believe in your heart, you will be a son of the, the Most High God. Just an opportunity right now. Is there anyone in this room that wants to say yes to Jesus Christ and wants to encounter the spirit of salvation? The spirit of salvation. The spirit of salvation right here, right now. That's okay. I still believe God is drawing people. I still believe the Lord is drawing people. The power of the gospel 
It never returns to Him void, the Word. It never returns to Him void. If you want to say yes to Jesus, just one more time. One more call. If not, you can come and talk to me after the service as that young boy did in high school when he talked to Jamie after the, after the session. You can come and talk to me and I'd be happy to talk to you about this and pray for you and lead you into the kingdom of God. Lord God, I, I say yes to you. I say yes to you and I know that there is a spirit of breakthrough in this place today. Without a shadow of a doubt, you are drawing the hearts of those who are lost and in need of salvation. Right now, Lord God, remove the scales from their eyes and tear the veil that is above their heart. Break through, Lord God, and draw them in. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tash. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. Amen. He's always, always good. Hey, guys. Um, we're running out of time, I know, but... Um, There's something I need to share today, just in the introduction for our series for those that come to church. And uh, I really hope that in what I share today, um, I'll try and make it brief, will be encouraging to you. We're, we're starting a new series calling Understanding the Gifts. Um, and today I get to look at what we call the motivational gifts. And uh, when you look at our newsletter, um, and, and even what Jamie's written in the newsletter, there's a really encouraging, some really encouraging things in there about uniting under the purposes for God and for the kingdom. And I want to read this to you. When we become followers of Jesus, we become children of God. As children, there is automatically the implication that we are on a process of maturing into adult sons and daughters, where we become Christ-like. It is as much our responsibility to grow as it is God's grace upon us. We are to develop our natural and supernatural gifts given to us in Christ that we become a unique and powerful force for transformation in our world. So we're looking at understanding the gifts. And, and when I look at people and when I look at the church and when I look at people working in the world and having fun in the world. And I'm just that kind of person. You know, I sit in the mall and I watch people. I've said that before, but it's just I watch people. I watch their reactions. I watch the way that they interact with one another. You know, and sometimes you see a man who's broken or a woman who's broken and, and they just seem negative to the people. And, and they're the people that I know sometimes I need to go and pray with. And other times I'll see people that are just full of joy and they, they're going and they're lining up and they're buying food for their family and they're doing all these sorts of things. Sometimes that's like that in the church as well. And we get so busy and we're doing things, we actually miss what's going on in people's lives. And, and sadly, what happens is we become, I suppose, independent because we're not connected to one another and we're not valuing each other and we're not seeing the importance of the gift of 
God on people's lives. And, and, and when I think about it, I think, well, you know, I'm in, the most, I'm in the best position I can be in because everyone comes and talks to me and shares with me about their life and, and, and their gifts and, and, and where their motivations are and what God's doing. And, and I get to see that, which is why we need to communicate this with more testimonies because you need to see it as a body. Amen? So we're looking for testimonies to put in newsletters and all those sorts of things and plan them into the service. So you need to, if you want, I've got a great testimony, come and talk to one of the people planning the service and, and we'll get it put in and things like that because we need to hear and value the great gifts of God on people's lives. And what we don't understand as a church is that each person is uniquely made. And the gifts of motivation, and you might think that's a new term, I haven't heard that before. Um, the gifts of motivation help us when we come to understand, they help us understand the nature of people and the character traits that they might have. And sometimes those things are frustrating to us. But when we understand that that's the way God's designed them and we understand that that's the way God's gifted them and motivated them, we can learn to value them in the context of the gift that, they've, that they are to this world. And, and you've got to know, guys, I look at you as gifts. I look at you as gifts to your family and gifts to the church, but I also look at you as gifts to the world. And that's the same way that I believe God looks at you because he has a plan and a purpose. You know, um, you're God's chosen agents of change. Uh, when you look at 1 Peter 2.9, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's called you out of going your own way and put you into a place of light where you will find abundant blessing. The joy of the Lord. Uh, where you find your purpose in life. But we do not attempt these things on our own, do we? We cannot. God has graced each one of us and every one of us with gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says it like this. I think I got it up there. That we are graced by God. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You and I are graced of God. Okay, You're, you're gifted to reveal God to those around you. The same verse, but in the Amplified Version, says this, Just as each of you has received a special gift, and in brackets, a spiritual talent and ability graciously given by God, employ it in serving one another, as is appropriate for good stewards of God's multifaceted grace, faithfully using the diverse, varied gifts and abilities granted to Christians by God's unmerited favor these gifts are gifts that we possess okay they are gifts that are unique to us as the retina in our eye and as the fingerprints on our fingers the makeup of your gift is different to mine for good reason you couldn't put up with two of me trust me these gifts are for God's glory when we use them to benefit others. 
and these gifts that help us understand our motivations. Once we discover how we are made, we generally discover the purpose for our lives, releasing all amounts of joy and even happiness. These are the gifts that shape our personality. And the gifts that we'll look at today really briefly and in short introduction, these gifts, they're all different because we are dominated by one and then the other gifts which we do have, we just have a different motivation around them. They then filter the way we view things. Okay, So there's seven gifts we'll look at today and each of them you have in varied levels. Okay, because they're natural gifts. But you are predominantly guided by one. You are motivated by one. And then there's a second, or sometimes for, for some of you unique people, there's the third one, which gives you a lens that you look through at people and at life with, and even view God with. So God creates us with free will, doesn't he? Yeah? You know that? meaning that we make the choice whether we use our gifts appropriately or if we neglect or even abuse our gifts. So these gifts can be used for our benefit, which I would strongly suggest you don't, or they could be used for the glory of God. And the more you understand about them, the greater understanding you have about the call of the Christian life and how you live devoted to Jesus. To be able to choose the act, uh, to act appropriately, we need to understand their function. So this list, what have I got next? There's three types of gifts, okay? <clears throat> Firstly, we've got the manifestation gifts, which you will find in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. These are the biblical mentions of gifts, okay, in the New Testament. They're called the manifestation gifts, so they're the gifts of the Spirit, okay? You know, tongues and prophecy and interpretation of tongues and gifts of healing and miracles and things like that. We're not doing that today. The next three weeks we'll unpack that a little bit more. The Greek word for that is, uh, uh, I can't even say that, pharanosis. Phanerosis, there you go. And it means an exhibition or expression or a manifestation. Okay, So it's about a gift that comes by the manifestation of the Spirit of God in our life. Now, those gifts aren't given to us, and we'll break that down even more. Those gifts aren't given to us to be able to, um, what's the word? They're not given to us to keep. They're given to us for the appropriation of the gospel and for empowering people um, to live victorious, okay? But they're not ours to keep, uh, but they're an exhibition of the Spirit of God coming on our life. The second type of gift is the, uh, the ministry gifts. Ephesians 4, 11, pastor, prophet, teacher, all those ones. You know, there's five of them there. We're not looking at them at the moment. But that word is a different word used in the Greek, like the Greek word used in the first context of gift. This word is a Greek word. Instead of gift, it's actually, as we translate it, it's doma, meaning that it's a present. Okay, There's three different words for these three different gifts. The first one was about manifestation. The second one is about a present. So Jesus goes, ascends to heaven and he gives a present of men and women to the church. They're gifts to inspire, to encourage, to equip. Okay, 
And uh, that's the way we look at them. But we're not looking at that at the moment. And then the last one is the one we're looking at, gift number three. The motivational gifts, Romans 12, 6 to 8. That's what we're going to look at today. The Greek word is charisma. Who's heard that word before? Yeah, that's the Greek word for this word gift. Okay, and what it actually means is a divine gratuity, a spiritual endowment or a free gift. Okay, that's why we translate it as gift in the, in the, in the English language. But it means, um, and it's the same word, sorry, that is used in that first passage of Scripture that I showed you, 1 Peter 4.10, where we're talking about using our gifts, okay? This is the same gift. So when Peter's talking about gifts, he's talking about this series of gifts that we find in, 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, in Romans 12. That's the one that Peter's talking about, as Paul alludes to here in this time. And uh, again, it's a divine gratuity. All right? We on board? We know where we're up to? I've somehow lost a, a page of notes and I don't know why, but it's okay. <clears throat> probably, no, probably not. I probably deleted it, knowing me. So I've got to keep up with this one. What does this say? Let's have a look at Romans 12, 6. Having gifts that differ to the grace given to us, I want you to understand that these gifts given by God differ. And that's what I'm saying, that every one of us are different. We can't be blocked and put into a, into a, a box according to our gift. Each one is different. And they need to be valued. And they differ according to the grace given to us. So therefore, they're supposed to be valued because they're given to us by God. Does that make sense? Let us use them. And then Paul goes on to explain these gifts briefly. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, verse 7, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Can everyone say amen to that? Acts of mercy, we're going to be cheerful. Amen? Very good. Um, and, and, and just for your knowledge, that's it written there in the Amplified for you if you feel like you want to read that in that context. This list is recorded by Paul, and I want to use different meanings for them today just to give us a little bit more context. The gifts we possess. Okay, I said this earlier. They are the gifts we possess. These gifts are for God's glory when we use them for others, not for our own. And lastly, these are the gifts that shape our personalities. We need to understand that. That these gifts shape who we are. They shape the way we view life, our worldview, and those sorts of things. And we must choose to use them appropriately. So the seven gifts. Remember I said they were like prophecy and teaching and um, what else did we have there? Gifts of service and mercy and giving and things like that. So for our context today, the number one gift there was prophecy. But I want to use this word perceiver. And these words have come out of a book called Discover Your God-Given Gifts by Don and Kate Fortune. And it's a really interesting book. 
if you want to understand these a lot more. And what I'm thinking is next year, um, maybe February or March, we're going to maybe offer a, um, a training course on this to help you discover, develop, and move into your gifts um, a little bit more. And we're going to do that next year, probably on Sunday afternoons for those that are keen. Um, so the first gift was prophecy, but I want to use this word perceiver. And what it means is one who clearly perceives the will of God. This word is purposefully chosen over the word prophet to avoid, to avoid confusion since the same root word is used in the other two categories of gifts. Prophecy is the only word that's used in all three categories that are taught in the Bible, which means that they've got different function and a different ability and a different purpose. You've got to understand because of the way the gifts are. Okay, Perceiver is that one, clearly perceives the will of God. The second one is server. Who's a server in the house? Yeah, I think we all come under this one a little bit. That's why I said we all have portions of this. One who loves to serve others. Uh, another appropriate word is a doer. Who likes to get things done? Yeah, Gets their hands dirty and does all those sorts of things. The third one is a teacher. I'm definitely not a teacher, all right? Um, one who loves to research and communicate truth. Uh, another appropriate word is a researcher. Okay. Uh, the fourth one is a good word, an exhorter. Okay. One who loves to encourage others to live a victorious life. That's my number one gift. I'm an exhorter. So everything I do, everything I say, everything God's called me to do is filtered through this exhorter kind of gift. Okay. Even when I'm preaching and teaching, it comes through the filter of an exhorter. Okay. Sometimes exhorters aren't always the ones who give a nice word, but you always feel built up afterwards. Okay. So you've got to get God's perspective on what these words mean. Um, the one who encourages others to live in victorious life. Okay. So you come to me with a problem. Uh, I'll generally say, I won't say there, there, it's going to be okay. I'm going to give you the keys so that you can live above those problems. Because I'm going to exhort you to see uh, with the eyes of Christ and not the eyes of yourself. Um, you could also be called an encourager. The fifth one is a giver and uh, one who loves to give time, talent, energy and means to benefit others and advance the gospel. Another word would be a contributor. Okay, So it's not just about money, but gifted, gifted uh, givers find it quite easy to acquire wealth. Okay, And the reason for that is that they're favoured and graced of God to contribute to the advancement of the gospel. So a, gift of the, a giver that's out of uh, sync with God doesn't find joy in giving their money away to worldly things. But when they come to Jesus, all of a sudden they find the place where they were created and pur for purpose and they give abundantly. And there's just this sense that takes place. And, and, and that's a supernatural part of God's gifting in that. It's the grace of God. Um, the sixth one is administrator, just like our beloved Pastor Rodney. It's easier to point the finger at Rodney because he loves to administrate things. Right, but it's not about administrator like an office administrator. It's actually the ability to lead. Okay, um, The administrator, and you can see that with the context of the scripture, the, the context is 
in that scripture. It's about leading. All right. So one who loves to organize, lead or direct. Other words could be a facilitator or a leader. And the last one is this one I want to use, compassion person. We all know a compassion person, don't we? One who shows compassion, love and care to those in need. Compassion over mercy for today's context. Compassion is very different than mercy, but compassion is about expressing love through doing things, isn't it? Compassion is, is, is more than sympathy, it's empathy. Yeah, it's getting around and bringing comfort to those in need. And we need compassion people. Okay, I want to give you a bird's eye view really, really quickly about this. You can see that okay? I think you can. It's pretty pink in color. The perceiver declares the will of God. It's a bird's eye view of these gifts. The perceiver declares the will of God and the need that it meets is a spiritual need, isn't it? And uh, what it does is it keeps us centered on spiritual principles. If you're a perceiver, you often read people differently than other people or you understand the motive behind the way people do things, whether it's right or wrong. You, are, you sometimes get that feeling where, ooh, something off here in the room or there's something off about that person and I don't necessarily want to be around them. The reason you're like that is because you're a perceiver and the re- what God wants to do is he's showing you and the way you react is the way that you've got to learn to be more like Jesus because Jesus wouldn't react and say, oh, I don't want anything to do with that person. But if you're not able to do something about the situation, the perceiver's call is to pray. Perceivers make the best uh, prayer warriors because of their function meets the spiritual. So if you've got a passion for prayer and and, and God speaks to you in the middle of the night sort of type of prayer, you start to connect with you're probably a bit of a perceiver and you perceive situations. Sometimes you perceive them wrongly. Hey, it just happens. We just perceive them wrongly. But we need to be in a body where we're related to someone, we're accountable to someone, and we use our gifts appropriately. Okay, Plenty of perceivers get hurt in churches. I've got to say that straight out. Yeah, Because perceivers, they feel it, and there's a really short distance between their brain and their mouth. And they're sharp with the way they speak. Okay, Perceivers are generally quite sharp the way they speak. And they can hurt people. And hurt people hurt people. So we've got to get those things right in our heart. But a perceiver who's, who's submitted to Jesus and on a journey of growth and also submitted to the pastoral leadership of a church function beautifully. And churches need them. Okay, they need them. The second one there is the server. The server um, <coughs> renders practical service. Okay, now how many people actually love to be practical? I was going to pick on Kyle, but he hasn't made it today. He's a server, gifted nature. He, he loves to serve. He actually is energized by serving people. And this is how you know your motivation, because you're energized with it. You're not <sighs> worn out after you've finished serving someone. So they render practical service and uh, it keeps the work of the ministry moving. It is a practical thing. Okay? Then you've got oh, then you've got the teacher who researches and teaches the Bible. And sometimes I'll call on some researchers because I haven't got the time, for example, to spend hours researching something. 
And all of a sudden, they'll bring it to me. And you could see the, the passion on their face because they're like, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've found. And I've discovered this. And rah, rah, rah. And, and it's like, wow, good on you. I'm going to grab one little snippet of that and use that to share that lesson over here. Yeah? Because they're being energized, but their gift is energizing the church with the thing that's practical. Uh, with mental, sorry. So they're in mental. They research and teach the Bible. And it keeps us studying and learning. If you talk to a, a teacher, motivated, you talk to a researcher, motivated, they're the ones that are telling you to read your Bible. They're the ones that are telling you to get into group and Bible study. Hey, darling. And all those sorts of things. Then you've got the um, exhorter. They encourage personal progress. And this is dealing around the psychological area. I always wondered why I liked looking at psychological things, um, whether it was from TV or researching stuff about the, the way people are, all those sorts of things. I'm, I'm nearly finished, guys. It's all good. Um, but they keep us applying spiritual truths. The giver, they share material assistance, and it's a functional thing. Okay, and it keeps specific needs provided for. Okay, the, the, the administrator gives leadership and direction. Again, that's functional. And it keeps us organized and increases our vision. That's the gift of the leader, the gift of the administrator, that they keep our eyes on the vision of God. And then lastly, the compassion person. Um, most of you know my mum or star or someone like that. It, they're driven by mercy. They're driven by grace. They're driven by compassion for someone and uh, provides personal and emotional support and it keeps us in the right attitudes and relationships. Yeah, If you go and talk to them about your problems, they will give you the there, there, but they'll also give you the, the ways and the means to see it work out Okay, practically because they want people to be unified and brought together. Okay? Now, it's important to understand and for me to restate that each person is unique in their gift mix. It's a mix of gifts. So for you, uh, for me, I think I'm uh, dominated by the exhorter. My second is the perceiver. And my third is the giver. They're my, they're my motivations, okay? Number one, I'm an exhorter and an encourager, okay? Number two, um, I'm, I'm a perceiver. So I work okay with perceivers most of the time, don't I? If you know who I'm talking to. I work okay with you because I tend to get a little sense sometimes of what God's doing. But I, I need some encouragement with that. But then the giver, I'm just like, well, guys, just do it. You know, Just give everything you got because it's all for God anyway. And that's where that comes from. That's the motivation where that comes from. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, it's important to realize we come with a gift mix. We also tend to view the world through our most predominant gift. Um, if you are a compassion person, you would expect that everyone would respond to a need the same way that you do. And that can be the bane of frustration. Because the person that's sitting next to you could be an administrator. Compassion person and administrator, they do not understand each other's motivations. It just doesn't happen. All right? But you work together, don't you? And you get the job done. Yeah? Okay? But when you understand, for example, that that person may be an administrator, you can understand that you've got to approach that slightly different. Okay? And this is where it all makes, starts to make sense. Because on the, on the grand scheme of things, we are one body for one function. Okay? And that is to bring glory to God. 
I'll give you an example. If all the people looked at everything through the eyes of the compassion person, nothing would get done. I'm sorry, it wouldn't. Nothing would get done. And Rodney says, Amen. Okay, think about a massive natural disaster. Think about it. Think about a natural disaster. Big flood comes through and washes out people's homes. Uh, the people are lost. People, people, loved ones, you know, we've been there sometimes, haven't we? Think about that. And then think about everyone approaching that as a compassion person. There'd be a lot of tears. And no needs met. The compassion people will be looking for those they could comfort, prepare meals for, um, even open up their homes for as many as they could possibly fit in if they were in a position to do so. Whereas the administrator would be writing lists, sorting the needs from the wants and delegating teams to meet the needs. Yeah, Givers would be procuring the food, the water, the means and sponsorship to get the effort paid for. Their motivation would be to save the lost, the hurt, and the needy. The giver's motivation in all of that would be that if I can just show the love of God through what I'm doing, maybe people will come to know Jesus. Okay, That's why we need givers as well, because they're generally um, people who are motivated with the gospel. So, Do you see what I mean? We all come together because we've got a purpose for God. God's wisdom is to create each unique person so we as the collective meet the call of the church to be the hope of the world. And I want to wrap up with context. Can I do that? I'm going to wrap up now, but I want to give you the context of why the motivational gifts are so important to the body of Christ. When you understand it in this light, you'll understand it even more for your better. Ooh, that's the last slide. Mustn't have the scriptures up there. You want to open your Bibles to Romans 12, 1 to 5. This is the pretext to give us the context of the motivational gifts. The motivational gifts are for you to understand your motivation in life. But the first five verses give us the context as to why we need them. Paul writes... In verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive decision. Decision? No, that's not right. Dedicate, decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, and consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. In verse 1, it says, Here Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome, and it states that all the believers, everyone that calls on the name of Jesus, are to present themselves to God as a living sacrifice. Not just the minister, not just those who are being paid by the church, not just those who are sold out for the cause, but every Christian is to show themselves as a living sacrifice under Jesus. It is only by this wholehearted dedication that our motivational gifts can be used as they are intended. The second verse says, Do not be conformed to this world or this age, fashioned after and adopted to its external 
superficial customs, but be transformed, that is changed, by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the things which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Now I'm using the Amplified because I want to blow it out so you can understand the context. So here in verse 2, Paul urges the Christians and those even through the ages, even us today, that we must be transformed in the renewal of our minds. We do this by prayerfully reading the Bible, which is God's word for us, and allow it to change the way we think. The inference in the Greek is to metamorphosize. It is to transform like a caterpillar into a butterfly. So the renewal of the mind is actually about changing us into the likeness of Jesus. Without the transferal of the mind or the, 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 the restating of the mind, we never start looking like Christ. And that's the importance of reading our word in prayerful consideration. We have to see that we become more Christ-like. So we see that in verse 1 and 2, living sacrifices which you cannot do unless you're transformed in the way you think. Amen? Then you've got verse 3. For by grace, which is unmerited favor of God, given to me, I warn everyone among you not to estimate and think of himself more highly than he ought, okay? but to rate his ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith apportioned by God to him. In the third verse, we learn that we need to have a right attitude about ourselves. It's about humility and not pride, gratefulness rather than that conceit or pride in our life. And an ex objective sense of value rather than self-abasement. You're not a sinner that needs to flagellate yourself, and that means to whip yourself, by the way. You're a son of God, a saint, created after Jesus Christ. Okay, So sober judgment is that very thing. Looking through the words of Jesus. So when you look at this in the context and using your faith to allow you to operate effectively your motivational gifts, the perceiver has the faith that God will answer their petitions. The server has the faith that enables him to complete whatever task is stated or started. The teacher has faith that she can ferret out the facts of any matter. The exhorter has faith that there is a solution to every problem. The giver has faith that God will supply all their needs and the administrator has faith that any project can be accomplished if the right people are brought together to do it. And the compassion person has faith that he can help people work together in love. So that's the context of verse 3 in that passage. But this is the last bit that I want you to grasp. For as in verse 4, for as in one physical body we have many parts, organs and members, and of all of these parts do not have the same functions or use. So we, in verse 5, numerous as we are, are one body in Christ, the Messiah, and individually we are parts one of another. 
mutually dependent on each other. Do you hear the context? Verse 4 and 5, we need to discern the various gifts of the body of Christ and need to work together in mutual interdependence. It is here, or it is here I want to highlight the importance that each of us, if we call upon the name of Jesus, we are saved. Each of us has the same redemption. Do you understand that? Everyone on that basis, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Everyone on that basis is equal before God. But the motivational gifts, as equal as they are before God, need to be seen as equal in the eyes of everyone here. The motivational gifts are different for a purpose. The same as why my hand is different from my foot and why my knee is different from my neck. Why my back is different from my stomach and why I have different organs and functions. The thing with the motivational gifts is that they cause us to function in unity. And we have to view them in that way. We can no longer look at a person and their character and their personal traits and view them as being in error because in Jesus they're equal. In Jesus they are redeemed. And therefore our function and our motivation has to come from those things of understanding what Paul is saying. Amen? Amen. I'm going to hand over to Pastor Rodney and he's going to finish us off tonight today. Thanks, mate.